0: On today's episode of Relative Currency,
1: honestly, the prisons are maintained by inmates. The daily operation, everything from the food to the maintenance to the to the cleaning, is done by inmates. They plant the flowers. They clean the cars of the police in the parking lot, and they get paid pennies. the The highest rate you can achieve. While incarcerated is fifty cents.
0: Brother, sister, and cousin. We've been relatives for a while. We're chatting about financial things, we're doing in family style. Cryptocurrency stocks and loans, financial literacy. It'll be that and so much more a relative currency. Listening to Relative Currency, fine-tuning financial literacy for the middle class.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Relative Currency. I'm Frank here with Treffin and Lisa the Dream Team, and we're so excited to be back. And tonight we have an extra special guest. Um, our first cousin, E.J. Sampson, he is an incredible young man with an incredible story. I'm proud to know him, proud to, to have him be our first guest on the podcast. So without any further ado, E.J., uh, go ahead and introduce yourself to the of Currency audience and just tell them your story.
1: Hey, how's it right, doing? I'm E.J. Uh, yes, that is what everybody calls me, including my mama. I'm 36 years old. I recently came home after doing a 15-year stretch upstate for third-degree homicide. How I ended up there is kind of interesting. I was born the oldest of my mother's three children, her only child, her only boy. And uh, honestly, middle class, grew up happy, a very religious family. At a very young age, we moved to a predominantly, well, all-white neighborhood. Grew up in a small area where, for the most part, I was the only kid of my color. But very popular. Everybody liked me. I was honestly probably better better than them at everything they did growing up. And it's funny because they all remember me to this day, 30 years later, when I see them. It's like, uh, I don't remember them, but they all remember me, but, uh, I don't really remember instances of racism or extreme unhappiness when I was growing up, but there was some kind of discomfort there, and I was, I was always looking for something else, and, uh, I seemed to find it, and running in the streets, it was like, uh. I don't know, a challenge almost. Like, man, the odds are bad. If you take this gamble, you're probably going to end up in a bad place. And I couldn't resist. (laughs) It was like high stakes gambling or something. It just tempted me nonstop. And uh, one day I rolled the dice and it rolled craps. And I went away for a very long time. And while in prison, I got older for one, but I also got a little wiser. You start reading, uh, take more information and you realize the error of your ways, the self-destructive nature of the patterns that you've been exhibiting your whole life. And I always thought I was a rebel. Like, I didn't like to take anything as doctrine. Uh, I had to see for myself when I was a kid I had to touch the stove.
0: <laughs> I'm not going
1: to take your word for it that it's hot. I had to see something burn before I believed it. Unfortunately, it happened to me. And uh it took a little while to learn about it. But uh, eventually... And I say my mid-20s, once I'm already a couple years into my state bid, I see that it's a cycle. It's It's a machine that's devouring, for the most part, young men of color, families of color. Because it's not just the men that go through the prison system. Your whole family goes with you Relationships get dragged through all kinds of stresses that are only put there because of the pressures of the penal system, which is, I guess, part of what it's supposed to be, maybe. But not to the extent that I think uh, mo- most people don't realize until they're actually a part of it or have a family member that's in it. And uh, some people are actually living in it. And still don't realize the impact that it's having on families, on communities. And in one instance, it gives the whole community a job, but in another, it's putting financial stresses on families who are usually the least capable of withstanding these pressures. You know, you put your family member miles away, sometimes hundreds of miles. You got to make that that trek to go see them. Everything's more expensive. Phone calls. Just to stay in touch, it's going to cost you money that you probably didn't have already. For some, that was the decision. That's why they made the decision they made for money, because they were tired of living hand to mouth. And it's something that you just it's it just hits you, it smacks you in the face one day after you spend a certain amount of time. I feel like if you have any kind of common sense, it's just like, man, look at this. This is a cycle because eventually, if they do enough time, their son will come, and their son will be up there with them. It's just crazy that it just disgusted me to no end. It wasn't the fact that I went to prison and somebody lost his life, like. That's. I don't think that was the point of me going to prison in the first place. They don't care. I knew the guy. I don't know who lived through the situation. But I watched these cops do whatever they do. <laughs> and somebody tries to shoot me. And you tell me I was past the point of a threat. Now it's a homicide. And, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't educated into the legal system at least not to the point that I need to be. Everybody knows the right to remain silent, but you don't know anything else after that. If a cop came up to you and cited some law, you wouldn't know if he was telling the truth. That's how the layman lives most of his life. But unfortunately, when you commit a crime like I was, bro, you don't even know something. You don't even know a little more than that. And, uh, Unfortunately, most people don't realize it until they're already in too deep and that's what that was my case
2: well wow, I'm gonna stop you right right there EJ. that for glory to God first of all that was an amazing story and thank God that you um, are in the place you are that that the system that that you mentioned the machine has not broken your spirit uh, you know one of the things that you know we talked about before we started is you know, you talked about the machinery and, and one of the things you mentioned was you talked about being middle class growing up, which is interesting in itself. But when when you look at the the type of, the way they break people down in there, as you kind of mentioned, and, and then you think about a documentary, like say the 13th, which is based on the 13th Amendment, which basically talks about after slaves were freed in this country, the prison system became the new slavery. Um, can you speak to the way, um, not just maybe have you, like like the, the conditions in, in some of the prisons, the way people are treated? Because it's supposed to be a rehabilitation process. And then also maybe speak speak to the economic um, disparity that uh, that you work for or work at in prison, the things they have you do and the wages that you get. Can you speak to some of that?
1: Well... I'll start with the uh, wage disparity. Well, for one, inmates run the whole prison. Technically, you have majors and lieutenants who are head of certain uh, sections of the prison, like security and I don't know. I don't want to be like uh, violence prevention. Uh, You might have the Deputy of visitation, weird, weird little fiefdoms they all have. But honestly, the prisons are maintained by inmates. The daily operation, everything from the food to the maintenance to the, to the cleaning is done by inmates. They plant the flowers. They clean the cars of the police in the parking lot and they get paid pennies. The The highest rate you can achieve while incarcerated is 50 cents. 50 cents an hour. That's it. And so they say, you can work your job, 50 cents an hour. That's a decent job in prison. That's the, about as good as it's going to get. And uh, you might go to school too, and you might get another $25 a month for that. So somebody, let's just say they make $80 a month. I don't think I know anybody who gets paid by the jail $80 a month. And that's working five days a week, holidays, <laughs> no overtime. It's not super strenuous work, no. It's not like you're out there uh, on a chain gang. But it still works. And uh, it's worth more than fifty cents because it maintains this whole system that is employing a whole town. And, uh, you know, it might work a 12-hour day sometimes for certain jobs. You might work a 12-hour day. But you're only getting paid a certain amount of money for a certain amount of hours. There's some jails that keep you overtime, like during, uh, say, Ramadan, when the kitchen schedule is different. They need staff to work different hours. So those guys have to stay overtime, and they don't get compensated for their overtime. You just have to stay if your job is done. You're getting paid the same amount you would have got paid regardless. And you can't complain. There's no, who are you going to tell? There's nothing you can do about it. You do your job for your, say, $80 a month. Well, everything in prison costs the same amount as it costs on the street. For the most part, some things cost more because you can't get them in bulk or you can't get a deal on them. So I need lotion, toothpaste, soap. Our brands are restricted to a certain DOC approved, but you know, I like Colgate Total Plus Whitening. I think it is. It's like four dollars a two. Uh, You know, you need your toiletries, your cosmetics, your food. Everything costs the same, as so it will cost you out there. So how far does eighty dollars a month last? Year? Now I don't have to pay rent. I'm in prison. I don't have a light bill. I'm in prison. No water. No, I don't, I don't need to pay any bills. Only thing I have to do is take care of myself. They offer three meals. You can go ahead and eat those at your own risk if you want to. I'd advise you otherwise. If you can do something else, bro, because that food is not made for human consumption. Please believe that. So you have $80. To last you through the month. I don't think you're gonna eat. You got the TV, you gotta pay cable, seventeen dollars a month. So now you have financial stress. Just to uh, you're already in prison. You wanna live comfortably as you can. You wanna live a normal life. So that eighty dollars, which is trust me, probably twice what most inmates make. Because those city center fifty cents an hour jobs are few and far between and are usually held for years by favorite inmates. So for the most, most inmates are getting paid forty dollars a month for running that whole operation. Nothing moves in that jail. If the inmates don't move, nothing moves. Right now during this COVID quarantine, when it first looked like this, is, this might get out of hand, they started moving inmates. They took Marcelli. They took anybody who was basically an essential worker in the prison. If you work in the kitchen, if you work in maintenance, you're a plumber. If you're uh, maybe grounds crew, they started moving you to different blocks so they could quarantine blocks as the virus hit. Now, these men don't, they said they were going to uh, try to increase their pay. Because some of these workers work all day because they're the only ones cleared to not be in the quarantine. So some of them work all day. Do they get overtime? They don't even pay them $100 a month. This man is literally from the crack of dawn out of his cell, running, grabbing trays, cleaning things, disinfecting the phones in between uses, showers. You don't give him any PPE and you pay him. $50, $60 a month. And he's risking his life because they're not prepared to take care of us. Well, them, fortunately, I'm no longer incarcerated, but there's still countless men locked up in these situations where once these COs bring the virus in, they're going to be in a, uh, it's going to be unavoidable. And the treatment it's going to be non-existent. Just imagine how many ventilators the DOC doesn't have. It's going to be horrible. Hopefully, the virus doesn't make it. That's their only hope. That's the only bonus to being in these boondocks where that's the other side of the prison coin that gets lobbyists and involved and prison officials elected town officials elected, you bring a prison, you can employ a whole area. There's nothing in the area where the prison is at. And most of the prisons in Pennsylvania are are that way. I don't know about the rest of the country, but I know most prisons are in some boondocks, some old abandoned coal town where my last prison was. There's nothing there and it brings jobs back to the area. All the people in the prison who work there are from rural areas, if not the rural area that the prison is in. And there's a disconnect between the people that they basically babysit and their understanding. They have no understanding that you know, you could be a normal person and end up in prison. Most people don't. Most people who work in the prison, it takes them a long time to see that if they see it at all. Because usually they're blinded to it through the us versus them uh, atmosphere of the prison. Because that's what it is. It's us versus them. It's the SEALs and the inmates. I used to hate it. My family, I was fortunate they come visit me often. My pops will get to know the guards that work out front. When you come in for a visit, you have to go through this little checkpoint. My, my pops will get to know the guards. And I have, my sisters got it quick. They used to tell me like that, stop talking to these heels. Like, this is, this is not, this is not, we ain't friends. I don't care how cordial they are to you. When it comes to the inmates inside these walls, we are the opposition to them. We are the enemy. And that's how we're treated. That's how we feel. And it's it's what it is. And I used to try for me and my father, <laughs> which is funny if you knew my father. But I tell him, the time, like, man, stop talking to these folks. Like, yeah, he's not bad. That's about it, as good as it gets for a uh, correctional officer, in my opinion. Like, man, you took a job that's that basically you're hired to
0: um,
1: keep me incarcerated. I always say, if the fence fell down, you grab me by my ankle and you want to let me walk out. And I just think, uh, you know, that's your job. That's not mine. But we ain't never going to be friends. (laughs) Because how how are we going to be friends when you're trying to or you're paid to keep me here? Uh, And uh. They're employed with benefits. They're getting paid danger pay right now. The Mm -hmm. prison is getting paid COVID pay for the inmates. Money is being pumped into the Department of Corrections. This is an essential, uh, uh, Department of Pennsylvania. You know, they talk about defunding the police. These departments of correction, (laughs) these prisons, these are funded heavily. And it doesn't trickle down to the inmates. It's, there's so many from parole agents to uh, pre-parole agents. There's parole agents and pre-parole. Like, what is the point of pre-parole? When I try to explain it to my folks, like, I have to go pre-parole before I actually see parole and get out. She's like, what's pre-parole? I'm like, man, I can't. It's just another person they pay who ask me the same question as a parole agent, but you still have to go see the parole agent in the parole board. They're just paying people. It's like, man, what is your job for? How are you essential? And they were all there. My, my release was expedited due to this COVID and all these essential <laughs> parole people are still working. They're still coming to work. In it's like, you're just sitting here all day doing nothing. Because when I got out of prison, my parole officer was like, how'd you get out? I'm like, man, you guys don't talk to each other? He's like, no, I'm supposed to do. He's like, I didn't even have this job when you got out. <laughs> I'm like, man, listen, I don't know. I'm, I'm glad I got out. Because I thought it was going to work the other way. Because that's the kind of people they're paying. Wow. Like,
2: Wow. Wow, man. I mean, that, wow. I, I'm going to pause you right there. Uh, Alicia or do you have uh, anything um, that you want to uh, a- ask or, you know, EJ, obviously you've done an incredible job telling the story. I don't have any real, I don't have any more questions for you, but I'm just going to throw it out and see if um, Alicia or Treffin have anything they want to share before we maybe close this one out.
0: Well, I, I want to say, EJ, I'm so proud of you. And um I know that I didn't, I'm guilty of not having written you, but I prayed for you and I thought about you. Um, I've known you since you were a baby. And I'm really, you're, I've, I have, I'm related to other people who have been um, in the prison system, um, including the family that I married into. And I've not had the opportunity to ever have anyone break it down the way that you just did you you have no idea how revelatory it was to hear what you're saying i had a very partial understanding of how uh, the economy of prison works um in on a personal level on an individual level we understand it's a system uh in society that i feel needs to be dismantled but you really made it real and made it clear to a person on an individual level what's actually going on there and I really appreciate that and um honestly I need to sit with it I I, I don't have a ton of questions right now cuz you just introduced so many new thoughts into my mind
2: mm. Anything from you Treffin?
1: Um My question is, if you had been able to make maybe a normal wage, what would you do with the money that you saved up once you got out? Or what would you have been spending your money on? Well, honestly, there is no, there's nothing to spend that amount of money on if you got paid a normal amount inside prison. I mean, I guess you could try, but it'd it'd be overkill. You don't need that much. I survived pretty well. I was fortunate enough to have family that loved me. I survived pretty well off about $300 a month, $300 a month, which is 10 times what most people get paid. If you learn off what you get paid from the jail. But fortunately I had sisters and all kinds of family that contributed to me living comfortably in prison. But uh, I'd say, If I made a regular wage, a livable wage outside, you would need to save it because 95% of people in prison come home. I did 15 years, I'm home. Things are very strange, and fortunately I have a, a, a loving family that can support me when I come home. But most people come home and they don't have that. They have nothing. If you were making $50 a month for however long you were incarcerated and you ate, if you were a normal human being, you, you needed soap and, and toiletries, you came home with nothing. I could have lost family members. I lost family members while I was incarcerated, but I could have lost more. Things could have been worse. I could have came home and and you need something. But it's like we did our – we commit a crime. I'm not going to sit here and act like I was faultless. We committed a crime. An atro- an atrocious circumstance happened and I had to pay a price for it but I'm going to come home and when I come home what kind of conditions do you want me in? you want me in desperate mode? Like listen guy you're out make it work you don't even give me two sticks to rub together
2: hmm. you just kick them out well, man, um, man, that was, I just, man, that was, that was ink. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm going to stop you there. We may have to get into this on another episode, but just thank you. I want to thank you so much for just sharing. Um, so honestly and being so transparent, we really need that. I think a lot of times we look at the prison system and we see the people that go in or out and we, and like you said, we don't see them as people. We see them as, you know, you think about some of the legislation that's happened that, like clinton went back on later with the you know three strikes and the super predator comments of hillary clinton things like that where it was so easy for even even going back to say nixon and reagan for them to to just demonize and dehumanize people um and just the way you put it that you know committing a crime is a bad thing but we're still people and this is something that i think even right now you see the country wrestling and reconciling themselves with so i just want to thank you man Uh, i just want i I love you i I just want to thank you so much for, for sharing that on this episode um, and like I said, I want to encourage all our listeners out there, please subscribe to this podcast. Um, Relative Currency, we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. If you can't find us, you're not looking hard enough, please leave a comment, leave a review. Um, we would definitely appreciate that and share it. Like share these, These you know, saying we have great stories, great insight, but none greater than tonight, I believe. So I just encourage you guys to share this episode, share this show. Uh, again, one thank you, EJ, Alicia Treffin. Thank you. Again, we'll be with you guys very soon on another episode of Relative Currency.
0: Thank you for listening to Relative Currency. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other major podcast platforms.